Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. And welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience. Joining me today, Nathan Morris. Do you know that name, Nathan yeah. Morris? He is the eldest founding member of the terrific group Boys to Men. Thank you. Uh, terrific R&B band, uh, a cappella, the smoothest, most beautiful harmonies. Thank uh, you. When you hit the scene, Nathan, it made you stop and go, whoa, wait a minute, who are these guys? It was different for us. I mean, being kids out of school and people liking what we do instantly, it was, uh, it was, it was different. It has been, a, I was looking at the history of the band, and I say band, group. You are legit singers, artists. And back in the day, in fact, your story, you back very young in school, or was it fourth grade, I think yes. I read somewhere, where you had a teacher who realized you had a talent. Yeah, his name was, uh, his name is, because he's still alive, I don't say it was. His name is Bill Morrow, and he's still, uh, actually just retired a few years ago in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, and his wife is a teacher as well. Um, so he taught me in grade school, and uh, he kind of figured out that um, I was able to pick up pitch really well. So he figured out that I had perfect pitch and kind of led me through, I guess, a musical gamut from fourth grade till when I graduated grade school and then kind of handed me off to his wife, who was teaching music at another school. So it was kind of – I kind of went through the family. And then um, at that point, you know, I was really doing music because – you know, people asked me to, and, and I liked it. But once I got to high school, I wanted to play, you know, American football. But uh, mm. my uh, my parents and those teachers got together and kind of pushed me into uh, the high school for creative and performing arts. And that's where I started Boys and Men, literally because I was bored and I had no sports and I had nothing Is to it do. true that you were singing in, uh, in class one day and the teacher's like, hey, stop that, and you just started singing and then – your good friend came over, started singing with you. Is that true? Or was that just uh, well, we used to urban sing, legend? We used to sing in the back of our world history class, and we'd get in trouble for it because, uh, <laughs> you know, high school was a, you know, our high school was a performing arts class. So, you know, a lot of teachers, you know, the, the educational teachers made sure that, you know, I know you can sing and it's great, but we don't really care about that. We want you to learn. So right. whenever you sang in class, you, you'd be reprimanded for it. So we'd wind up going down in the hallways and, you know, during class, after class or going to the bathrooms or subways even after school. And was that? Was that Mark Nelson at yeah, the time? Yeah, it, it was Mark and Nelson. And so yeah. you and Mark Nelson get together. Who was your? Who, who were you listening to at that time? Wow. I mean, you know, we grew up on Motown stuff. Uh, we were big uh, Take Six fans, gospel acapella group. Um, and then we listened to this, the regular stuff that we heard on the radio, uh, um, uh, R&B stuff. You had Luther Vandross, uh, Teddy Riley was going, doing well at that time, and uh, New Edition, and, you know, all those, you know, R&B groups that, mm -hmm. that, that we loved. So how did it all come about? Well, we actually, uh, Mark and I uh, started a group um, my freshman, our freshman year, and it consisted of about three other guys, and um, we just sang in school just to have fun. 
And, um, you know, we sang for a while. Then after the years, you know, different years would come by and certain guys that were seniors or whatever graduated, and we just replaced different members of the group. So that's kind of what happened when it came to anybody being in or out of the group. Nobody ever really got put out of the group. They either just left or graduated. And by the time we got to my senior year, we winded up with the uh, the boys to men, as you know, today. And were you singing your own stuff? Were you writing your own stuff? Were you doing a lot of covers? We were, we were doing a little bit of both. We were writing a lot of our own stuff. We were singing a lot of covers. And it's funny because our first album was probably 75 to 85% our own stuff because mm. the record label didn't really know what to do with a vocal group and they didn't have anybody that could produce music for us. So we kind of wrote our own stuff. So the big the, 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 the aim of all this is to get a contract. How did that well, come about? Well, what's funny is that we weren't really looking for a contract. We just... Um, you just enjoyed singing. Yeah, because we enjoyed singing in school. We, we ran into Mike Bivens at a... We went to a radio station event, as the boys to men that you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we met Mike Bivens backstage and asked him, could we sing for him? And the idea was pretty much to just... For him to give us his opinion, because, you know, he was a part of New Edition. We were big New Edition fans, and we mm-hmm. looked up to what they did. So we wanted to get his opinion about what we did and what he thought. And then whatever his opinion was, we were going to go back to high school and just work it out and figure out what he told us to do. But we never had any idea it was going to turn into a record deal. And it did. Yeah. And so you started off, and did they tell you what to wear, the, the label? Yeah, yeah, they did tell us what to wear because, uh, you know, it, they were trying to create an image that was uh, very uh, easy for people to, to relate to. Um, you know, us coming from, uh, you know, urban neighborhoods, you know, there's different stereotypes or whatever. So they tried to create something that the whole world would see uh, kind of almost be colorless or colorblind too, to where you'd hear the music and then you see the group and it'd be easy to swallow. So they did create something that the world could uh, could understand. So you have bow ties? Bow ties. Jackets. And sometimes and jackets, jackets and yeah. shorts. Jackets and, and shorts and ball caps. That was and us. some dance routines. That's, oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely got to have those. So it was the 90s. So, you know, every group and every and artist. you like would, that part of it? I mean, it's all right. I do it because I have to. I'm not a, a dancer per se. The other guys dance way better than I do. But you know, I I fall in line when it when, it, when we have to. So, who was the first big act that you did? You open for MC Hammer? Yes, we did. And we, you uh, were on tour with him. Yeah, we. What uh, was that like? It was great. It was great. I mean, it's funny. It was actually against the will of our record label because they didn't feel that it made sense. But uh, Michael Bivens at the time understood the. Uh, immensity of that situation and how big MC Hammer was that if we were able to be a part of a tour like that and for our our music to go to different regions of the country where we never would be able to go as an R&B singer, right. it would make sense. So, I mean, Hammer took us to, you know, Idaho and Montana and Oregon and places that, how you was know. was that? Was it fun? I mean, it was great. It was great because, I mean, every city was different and, you know, your kids right out of high school, yeah. you know, going all over the country. I mean, you know, on the East Coast, you go to, you know, New York and Maryland and D.C. and Philly, but, you know, when you're going to, to Denver and, and <laughs> Iowa and North Dakota and South it's Dakota. It's, it's a whole different ballgame. So we would have never been able to be exposed to that as an R&B group if we didn't go on his tour that was scheduled to go through all those cities. And, and as a result of that, you started to build, okay, you were an opening act for MC Hammer, and I'm sure yeah. the, the crowds were probably small at the beginning. They didn't know who you were, but they built pretty quick. And then pretty soon, you're like, wait a minute, we could headline. Yeah, they they built very fast to the point where um, I think within about a month, maybe not a month, maybe two or three weeks, 
uh, our management was already negotiating with Hammer for more money because <laughs> at that time, you know, Motown Philly took off, and then it's so hard to take about it yesterday took off, and it it was it was flying at that point. So they were just trying to take advantage of the situation. You bought out the debut album, nineteen ninety one. Yep, Cooley High Harmony. Yep, it sold nine million copies. That's remarkable. Yes, sir. Nine million United States and twelve million worldwide. Is that right? Yeah. So by now, you're out there. You're the headline. And yeah. You're, you're 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 filling out Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and we're putting our urban acts on our tour, like TLC and Montel Jordan and Brandy and people like that. So I mean, we're now doing what Hammer did for us, taking them where they couldn't go. So what was this like? Kid from Philly that loves to sing, puts a group together. Next thing you know, you're on tour, you're traveling around the world, and I would imagine making some pretty good money. Yeah, we, we were. And it, it, it's funny, though, uh, because we look back on it now, and, you know, because we were perfectionists when it came to, you know, our vocals and our harmonies, a lot of stuff that we did, you know, the things that most people thought we would have, you know, hung out and enjoyed and just relaxed. We, we were always in our room or in a corner somewhere just trying to focus on what's the next song? What's the next? How do we sound better at this song? You know, what harmonies we do here? So we didn't really get a chance to enjoy it like we should have because we were just so focused on making sure everybody sounded perfect all the time. That's interesting. So from, from that debut album, it just went from yeah. strength to strength. Yeah, and that's I think that's why the second album did so well because I mean we were we were in you know in grind mode to the point where you knew we we, we took what we learned in high school we put it together as a group we saw people acting the first album so after that it was just like we just we got to keep going and keep going and keep going. So what were the lessons learned then? You look back now, you just said, well, I wish we'd stopped and had more fun and lived the moment. What yeah. else, as you look back on that mm -hmm. career, what else comes to mind? I mean that that that's a lot of it. I mean you know as you know we started as. What was it, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19? Um, Very young. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. We look back now and realize that we're, we've been together as a group longer with each other than we've been with our own family wow. when you look at the years. So, you know, we think back to a lot of things that we've done together, and we we, we, we wish that we would have taken some time off to, to really enjoy it. But then we also, in hindsight, say, well, if we took that time off, we don't know mentally what would have happened to each guy or how they would have felt or would they have been pulled away or where, you know, other people getting in your ear saying, hey, you can do it by yourself and all those yeah. things. So we always try to stay tight because we always believe that there's nothing stronger than the nucleus and we just try to keep everything else out. You did a lot of collaborations. I was just I just yeah. made a note here. Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, Justin Bieber, of course. Yeah, I mean, Bieber. that must have been very yeah. cool. Yeah, that was cool. He uh, called us for a Christmas record that he had and um, – you know, we thought it was kind of cool. We listened to him sing. And we, one thing we always try to do is make sure that the person can sing. Um, a lot of people just it jump helps. on. Yeah, a lot of people jump on the record because they're hot or they're doing well. But we jumped on because we, we, we think he's really, really talented. Yeah, he is. I remember there wasn't a time where I couldn't turn on the TV or the radio where I'd hear you guys. You were everywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> it was rough because, I mean, it was it was fun, but it was rough. We also had a lot of, uh, I would say, friends, but friends and some non-friends in the music business that were really pissed off at what we were doing, especially with the records on the charts. And we had, you know, Madonna got pissed off a couple of times in the press and said some things that, you know, about, you know, she put a record out and she'd love to see it chart if Boyz II Men could just move out the number one spot. And That's the, the ultimate compliment. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it it, it was, but I mean, you know, as kids, we kind of took it like, why is you know Madonna mad at us? You know, uh, like, uh, we just you know doing what we do. So, and not that's not forget you won Grammys. 
Yeah. What was that experience like? Um, that was fun. I mean, I think that was fun more so because, you know, we've watched all the TV shows at the Grammys and, you know, you see Smokey Robinson and Michael Jackson and, yeah. you know, all those people come up there and give the little speech or whatnot. And um, it's funny because, we, you know, if it's anything in the music business you always want, you always think about one of those. And I guess when we won the first one, we were excited, but we realized that it wasn't the same one. I guess they changed the design of the trophy <laughs> over time. So, I mean, over. <laughs> Obviously, we got used to it, but we really wanted the one with the little wooden base and the, the old, the old fashioned one. But they hey, gave a us Grammy's the, a Grammy. A Grammy's Don't worry a Grammy. about it. So we, we we take them though. It was one of those things where we just you know we've always wanted something like that, and you know to to get four of them is, is unbelievable. On the financial side, with all this money coming in, were you able to keep track of it? So often we hear these big stars whose yeah. money just seems to disappear like water. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was really tough for us to keep track. We did have good business managers. Um, Mm. They they stayed on top of us. We 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 blew some money and we did some some stupid things, but none to the point where we lost everything. Um, things that we could recoup from. Um, so we've never since we started making money, we've never been broke. Now we might not have what we had years ago. Some of us, depending on who you are, but um, you know we we never really went completely out and just lost it all. Ultimately, though, all good things come to an end. They say. And do you think? With the advent of hip-hop and your sound kind of went more hip-hop and it was hard for you to compete because you were very much, you were, you were a cappella, you were R&B. Right. Um, but then this new sound, this even more urban sound came mm. in. Did that sideline you a little bit? Well, I think when it first came in a little bit, it, it, it did. When it got strong, it did um, to a point where people just only started listening to that but then i think over 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 time they started to realize that they both could exist in the same space they were two totally different things and then some both of them actually fed off each other because those artists would do duets together and write for each other and things like that so they realized that it worked together i think um more so than than the advent of hip-hop i think that just the just the theory of um you know a new uh a new group of people coming in, younger children learning different stuff. Technology came in and twisted things upside down and kind of put, you know, music kind of to the back burner to where it became more of a sound-driven industry more mm -hmm. so than a music-driven industry. Yeah, you don't get the singers. You just put them on auto-tune. Yeah, you just put them on auto-tune and, you know, you push the keyboard and you play all the violins and the horns and so there's nothing live anymore. Everything is just all electronic. And I think that's where, that's where it really got bad for artists like us. So ultimately, you ended up you end up getting a new manager who tried to reinvent you. You went along you went along to smaller venues. I think I read yeah. somewhere or saw somewhere you were you you were in Texas at one point playing yeah. some Bronco bar with a yeah. mechanical ball. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. you went from Madison Square Garden to that. Was That's that right. hard to deal with, or were you quite happy performing regardless? I mean, it, it was rough to deal with. Um, just because you know when when you've been doing that for so long with the big venues and then. You know, you take some time off and then you come back and you try to get things going and the music industry's kind of changed in a bunch of different directions. You try to figure out where you go and where you fit. And, you know, it was tough to literally start back at the beginning, but, you know, it, it took a lot of uh, mental focus because a lot of artists would never be able to do that. Those are the ones that you see wind up getting on drugs and killing themselves because they mentally can't come back down to try to restart it. It's like if it doesn't happen for them, then that's it. So we were able to do it. And, um, you know, again, it, 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 it is like a second career for us. And we understand that, that, you know, what we did is an accolade to, 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 to pass on our family and our kids. But what we're doing now is, is more so for us. 
along the way, you were you were a f- four of you, and then Mike McCarry dropped out mm. for a variety of reasons. Right. But you carried on as the trio. Was that yeah. a hard transition? Because everyone thought of you as the yeah. four guys. It was tough in the beginning. I mean, I think the other two got over it a little faster than I did because <laughs> I'm a group guy and I created the group, so I'm I'm always about team. Everybody now he together. dropped out because <clears throat> he had scoliosis. He said he had trouble trouble traveling and being on planes and what yeah, have you. And that, the grind of it, he just didn't enjoy. Yeah, that was part of it. But again, you know, he, over time, I think that he got a little. I don't say, yeah, I would say lazy and didn't want to really pull his weight according to what the group needed. And um, after a while, you know, once you get older and you start getting kids and families and each guy has their own life, you know, the finances and things, you know, mean something. So when you're splitting everything equally and one guy is not showing up or he's not doing his job, it comes to a point where you have to say something about it. And he wasn't happy with us addressing it. So he wound up leaving. And um, we we it was tough to move on with the three. But um, one thing with that we weren't really concerned about was the sound. A lot of people were because they, they, they didn't really know. A lot of people didn't really know that. I've always sang Mike's parts on all of our records. He just sings over top of me, and then they take me out. So I've always created all his bass so you've lines. you've been there all the time. I, it's been there all the time. Wow. So that's how you could carry on quite that, comfortably. That's why it sounds today still like exactly it sounded. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. So, what, so how often are you performing these days? Well, we were, we've been in Vegas for five years now at the Mirage Hotel and Casino. We've uh, And how, how many? Perf- we do about 20 to 22 weekends a year. That must be great. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. And it still allows us to do, you know, a bunch of corporate gigs that we get throughout yeah. the year and any other tours that we want to jump on and stuff like that. We can kind of arrange our schedule around those. So it's it's a, it's a great thing right now. Yeah. I mean, obviously it provides a living, but you have a passion for this. You love to sing. Yeah. Yeah, we do. I mean, 27 years later, you better love it. Otherwise, Does your voice change over that period? You have such an amazing voice. Um, Does it change? I'm just interested as you well, get older. Um, well, it depends. I think that if you don't, if you don't sing all the time, I tell people that a lot that, you know, the voice is just like any other muscle. If you don't work it out, it will, it will not work for you. So you got to sing, you got to keep doing it and doing it to keep it consistent. Do you, do you teach? I do not teach. Um, I don't mind any, any interest. I don't mind teaching. I mean, I'd 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 love for people to. I love for schools to teach. I'd love for yeah. you know people to you know pass on you know what we've learned to to the next generation because a lot of these kids don't really understand what music it really is. Yeah. Uh, you got a 22-year-old son. Has, has he yeah. shown any inclination? Does he have your voice? He he sings. He sings. He he, he has the ear. He, he plays piano by ear. He plays guitar by ear. I mean, but he's, yeah. Uh, the only thing is I've told him that, you know, it's important to do that, but it's not 1991 where that will make a living for you. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, you have to have something that you call that's concrete, and then you can do that on the side. And if that happens for you, then that's just a bonus. It's kind of cool that dad is a music Industry I mean, star. Yeah, yeah, you it know? is. It's just sometimes, you know. He's probably too cool for that, though, right? Yeah, sometimes they try to lean on you and want you to, you know, uh, introduce you to all the other people and get me a record deal and stuff like that. So that's that, those things. Uh, you Before know. You've, you've got a, you're starting, you're involved with another project now, which is out of music. But I, I, before I get to that, I just want to say um, you made a lot of money, but streaming and the copying of music mm. has changed the landscape. Yeah. So much. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, you know, because everyone it, seems to get it for nothing these days. Yeah, I mean, I always when people when people mention streaming and 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 uh, the sources of that of that nature, you know, I always ask them how much is their streaming subscription. They're like, oh, it's fourteen ninety nine, and then I'll say, okay, well, 
take a gander at all of the songs that you listen to and think about how many people have those streaming systems. Do you really think that all the artists and producers can be paid for can be paid correctly out of that fourteen ninety nine a month. It's impossible, yeah. which means that the money's going somewhere else, and the artists are not being paid according to what they used to be paid for radio plays, which I don't understand because radio and digital, they sound exactly the same. I mean, the song hasn't changed. The lyrics right. don't change. It's just a platform. So for them to, in all actuality, we as artists and producers and writers should be paid more the amount of times and the more access that people have to songs than we did years ago. You heard right. it on the radio like four times a day. Now somebody can play it on the Internet five million times and you get $30. Yeah. The, the numbers just Well, the only money that today, even the, you know, the, the, the big touring bands, the U2s, the yeah. Rolling Stones, it's, yeah. that's the way you make your money. You go on tour. That's the money that artists can control. Uh, you know, radio radio is, is, is what it is and streaming is what it is, but touring and merchandise is all you can control. And nowadays when artists get signed to record labels, record labels want a part of merchandising and touring because they know they can't make any money anywhere else. Are you still writing songs today? I mean, we still write. Do I mean, time? not to put them out, but write them to have fun and, you know, sit down to the piano, write something, and just, you know, just, just categorize. What do you say? What's the word? Uh, Categorize? Catalog. Catalog. Catalog it, yeah. Well, and another album, maybe? Have you thought yeah, about we, that? Yeah, we, we do music. We do sing. We do songs. Uh, I, I wouldn't say we do the traditional albums anymore because they just don't seem to be what they were. But, right. you know, we like to be a part of projects. Like if somebody's working on, you know, a movie soundtrack or something, they want a song and we'll jump on that. Or, you know, like like last year we did an album that was a tribute to doo-wop where we did a bunch yeah. of acapella records. So if it's a specialty type of thing, we'll do something but just literally putting out the normal 12 10 song album and just see where it goes i think we're way past that now so you think that would be a lot for someone's life but you nathan morris are now in a whole new phase <laughs> you have the singing still going on in vegas and elsewhere yeah. but you have a new diy network series called hit properties yes hit yes. properties we're not talking about music hits we're talking about hit properties with yeah. nathan morris you basically what house flip you go yeah. in, you do up a house, and yeah. then hopefully sell it for more. Yeah, we go in and we do high-end homes, and we that that's it. We go in, we, we redesign them, we restructure them, and, and hope we can flip them for more. That's the, That was it, pretty much. You nailed it. How the heck did that come about? How did someone go to Nathan Morris, boys to yeah. men, and say, hey, you know what? You should be on a show. Doing up houses. How does well, that happen? Well, I've always uh, been in, uh, wanted to do real estate since I was a kid. Um, huh. I've been invested in real estate for quite some time phys- financially. Hmm. And in my free time, I, I do a bunch of design and construction. So it was just stuff I like to do. And um, this was just a chance for us to bring the the financial part in with the creative part. And we just decided to film it and see see where it goes. And where is this? Is it down in you, Yeah, you, we you are, live in Florida. Yeah. And we started, we did this house in Orlando. It's uh, over 8,200 square feet. We just... Um, Big home. Yeah, we just put on the market uh, about a week ago. Um, we bought the property for one point seven million. I mm-hmm. think uh, we we invested about one eighty five, one seventy five, somewhere in there, and we have it on the market for four point nine. So we're trying to see what we what we get. That's a big risk, isn't it? Though, I mean, it's <laughs> speculation. That's the whole point. But house is. flipping is not easy. Yeah, no, it's not easy at all. I mean, you got to try to. Uh, a lot of it's. A lot of it's, uh, you know, you barometers and whatnot, you know, and mm-hmm. then some of it's just hunch. You know what I'm saying? We um. We found this place on the golf course and it had been sitting for a while and it was really, really outdated. We knew that people, you know, people mm-hmm. want to be on the golf course. So our theory is, you know, if, if we buy it for 1.7 and we sell it for 2.2, we still win. Right. We don't touch right. it. So we figured if we could put that much, if we could win on that and on that, on that, 
uh, portion of it. Yeah. If we really went to invest into it and, and flipped it, then we could probably make a whole lot more. So what do you enjoy doing most when you're redoing a home? All of it, You man. went to the I bathrooms, like, the kitchen, everything, the whole man. thing? Everything, We This house, we redid every single inch because it was outdated. <laughs> it was so outdated. We did over – Probably over four thousand square foot floors in that house. We redid every bathroom. We did the kitchen, wow. all the bedrooms, the uh, all the stone paver driveways. We redid the whole roof, the landscaping, the pool outside, the travertine deck. We did everything all over again. So I'm assuming you have a camera on you. It's kind of like uh, yeah. you know, kind of these reality yeah. shows. Yeah. And how was that? I mean, you should be used to that, right? Well, the thing I like about this one is, um, I guess I guess this is a reality show, and the reason why I, I say it's reality, and I'm not saying scripted reality. It's 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 real. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. me and my guy, we talk about what we want to do with the house, and they film it. And we bring in a crew, and we fix it, and we film it. Things go wrong, we talk about it, we film it. So it's a real, it's really reality. It's not really scripted to where, hey, let's make this tree fall down, and then you can talk about it. <laughs> right, so right. So everything that, that we do is 100%. And, and that's what I always told uh, my manager that if I ever did anything on TV, because I'm really not that TV guy, but if I ever did anything, it has to be me at being me, or otherwise I'm not, I'm not an actor by any means. So you do this, is it just focusing on this one house, or I mean, how, well, many, pa- how many parts to the series? This is, so a, four, this is a four-episode show. Right. Um, it airs on DIY Network at 10.30 on uh, Saturday nights, and it's a four-part episode. And like I said, it's 800 square. Well, now it's over nine. So is this going to be the first of many, or is that what well, you're last week trying was, to figure out? Well, yeah, we're, we're, it's, a, it's a four part, and you know, depending on how well it does, which we hope people watch it and, yeah. and get the ratings up, yeah. that will help us um, move into a second season. And if we go into a second season, all bets are off at that point, meaning, <laughs> meaning that either we'll do another house or we'll do a house of episode. I mean, it could all be done in Florida. We can move to different regions. I mean, we kind of have the flexibility to pretty much go anywhere. So we just want to get something up there. You really there. enjoy it, don't you? have a passion for this. I love it, man. I love it. I love the design. Why I, real estate? You say you've invested a lot in real estate. Is there any particular reason? Well, I mean... I mean, it's somebody, usually a good investment. Yeah. Somebody told me a long time ago that, you know, there's one thing that they, they make a lot of things in this world, but one thing that they're never, ever going to make again is land. It, it, they're not. So if you can get it and if you can build upon it, it's, 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 it's building financial wealth. I tell people there's a difference between being wealthy and being rich. It's two totally different things. Very true. And how is the economy right now for you as you're doing I this? I mean, it, it's, doing, it's great for me. But I, I, you know, I don't lose touch with people that I grew up with and people that I know that are still back where I come from. Mm-hmm. It's not so well for them, though mm-hmm. it may look great on the outside that, you know, us in the the 1% or even the the, the 30% yeah. are doing well but uh, the people where I come from are, are, are still struggling. They're still trying to find jobs, and they're still trying to, you know, take care of their families. It's, it's tough. That is very difficult. Yeah. Well, it's you know, it's an absolute. F- it's fascinating to meet you, Nathan. Um, so you get to do everything you want to do. Still, you're still singing. Yeah, and you're <clears throat> also doing your other passion, which is building. I yeah. mean, is there anything else out there that? Um, so far, this is it right now. I mean, I'm just, you know, again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the second stage of my life. I'm, I'm able to do boys to men like, like I've always done. And I'm able to do, you know, the, the, the construction and design It's it's just, it's just, it, I, I learned a long time ago that life is all about options and the more options you have, the better life your life will be. That's very true. We were just saying before this, you know. I always think if you you get to the pearly gates when life is done, and yeah. if you can look back and say, you know what, I gave it a great go and I had yeah. a great time. That's it. That's all you can ask that's for, right? That's all you can ask for. That's it. I mean, you know, enjoy it while you can. You know, whatever you do in life, enjoy it. Don't hurt anybody doing it. Treat everybody the best way you can, and, and everything should be okay.
What a great place to leave it. Nathan Morris, thank you so much for stopping by. No and problem. Uh, good I luck with it. all your projects. Thank you so much, sir. All right. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.